Welcome to Beauty and the Gi, the podcast about jujitsu and so much more. I'm Jen Eads, a blue belt full of curiosity and questions about all the things jujitsu. And I'm AJ Clearman, a Brazilian jujitsu brown belt obsessed with jujitsu. And I'm Jennifer Isser, a purple belt that never does warm ups. <laughs> Fantastic. And we have our very special guest this week. Claire North, who will be teaching at Role Model Grappling Camp this summer. Hello, Claire. Welcome. Hello, hello. Hey, I'm super stoked to be teaching at that camp. I'm so excited to meet everyone. Um, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've been training for about 10 years, and I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Okay, who's got the first question? I got to kind of see you coming up because mostly from like Chicago Opens and stuff like that. So I've always gotten to kind of like admire your Jiu-Jitsu and everything. But last year, Risser and I attended a camp in Missouri. Yeah. And you were one of the instructors for that. And instantly we were like, oh, my God, we love her. She is our people. She would be perfect for camp. <laughs> you just had such great energy. We actually have like uh, typically Rachel has gone on Sundays. She's been our Sunday instructor for some time now. And, you know, by the time Sunday comes, everybody's a little bit tired and they need somebody with a lot of pep. And so we kind of dubbed it like Sunday energy. <laughs> and yeah. um, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, we have moved Rachel to Saturday morning because I don't know if you know, but she has dementia. And so it's better for her to go on Saturday when she's not too tired. And mm-hmm. but we were like, Claire's got Sunday energy. Oh. <laughs> Good. Yay. So tell us kind of how you got started in jujitsu. I was, I was always really competitive. And when I, so I did soccer my whole life. Um, I would have loved to do wrestling, but they didn't really let girls do that at my high school. Um, So when I got to college, there was a university club of Brazilian jujitsu. And I just, I was interested in self-defense. I had like a kind of a interesting interaction at work. And I was like, no, I need to, I need to learn some self-defense. And I was really competitive. How did you get into coaching or instructing? For a lot of people, it's a really natural progression of you, you sort of just, you keep teaching or you keep going to class. And then eventually if you just keep going, keep going, keep going, you're one of the most experienced people there because everybody kind of just sort of falls off. Um, and I, so, you know, you just sort of kind of pick up classes for, for your covering for people. And then you start to get, you find your niche, you find out that you're kind of good at it. Um, and my, um, my husband owns the gym that we train at. Um, he has always been a huge, huge, huge um, proponent of women's jujitsu. And he was, he was like, Hey, I need to, we need to start a women's program. Like I would love for you to lead it, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm not usually a big, I, I usually, I, you know, I, I don't, he's wonderful at teaching. So I sort of let him run with that ball, but it's been wonderful to be, get more involved in that. What's your favorite thing to teach? I really like teaching flows. So I like teaching like this, the moves themselves might be a little simple, but if we're going from like a sweep to a pass into a sub and it just seamlessly transitions. I love those. I love seeing people do them and I love teaching that. How, what rank were you when you started the women's class and started like getting into teaching a little more? I would have been a brown belt. Um, yeah. So I would have, you know, it was always so, it was goofy because we started the women's program in like 2019 and then 2020, you know, the entire world shut down. So it was like that kind of in that sort of time frame. But so I was a brown belt and we had, we, we 
hit it off with a bang with this big like self-defense seminar to try to get a bunch of girls kind of initially interested. Um, and so we had a big showing from that. And, and so, yeah, that probably would have been about three years, three-ish years ago. It's been. We also joked a lot at that uh, camp that we went to with you um, that you had like an army of women, like all your size. Yeah. <laughs> you had like, we just kept calling it Claire's army. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, and I love, I just, it's so, it's so good to like get, I don't know. We have a lot more sizes at the you know, gym now. It happened to be that they all worked out, that they were all these sides that we drove down with. But it is really nice to be able to get to like bring different girls to the to the like different places so that they can see like what everybody else looks like, what everybody else does, how how they all interact with each other. I just I really like that. Do you have any tips for um, retaining women, building a women's team, gym culture, that kind of thing? That is a wonderful question. And I think that there is, um, especially there's, it's kind of a twofold answer. So the first thing is definitely that it's going to be slow. It's there. It is, a you're, you're trying to get a group of people that in a male dominated sport that have typically never even touched another human being, much less fought them. Right. So this is like, don't, don't be ready to have your heart broken a lot of times with girls that come in and <laughs> you want them to stay so badly, but it's just not for them. Um, so, so just slowly, but surely kind of do it one person at a time. You know, you have your one person and you really make them good, make them fall in love and then they get the next person and you kind of build it on, on that kind of program rather than trying to, I think that that helps a little bit more really, really, really focusing on one person at a time and kind of that like discipleship way is like what I've analogy I've heard. Um, and the second thing is, I think it's really important that the culture at the gym is technique. Like if you, the culture at the gym is always favoring that technique is what wins and to like put away aggression, put away strength, put away ego, put away all of that stuff. If like the top down lesson is the technique is the thing that should should happen in every single role, happen in every single interaction. I think that that tends to be, um, that favors keeping women because we're typically tend to be like less experienced with grappling type things. We tend to be, you know, we might be smaller, we might be weaker, we might not have like that background, but if we can focus on the moves and focus that that's how we're going to win and get better. And we're positively reinforced with that by our training partners, allowing that stuff to work. I think that that's probably your best way. You compete a fair amount too. How do you get like your head in the game for competition? For me, it's very, uh, it changes. So when I first started training, I was going to engineering school. I was going, and then I switched to pharmacy school and I had like all this stuff going on. So like there was how I, how I dealt with this competition stress and that at that time is so completely different from how I do it now. I think that, um, what has really helped me now is realizing that if you look at it as though any one individual event is going to be the end all be all, that's when I think people get really overwhelmed and really scared and they don't want to do it anymore. But if you use every single time you go out there and compete as just an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow, I think that it really just takes a lot of that pressure off and nobody cares how you do. You know, yeah. really, they don't win or lose. They really don't. They're so excited if you win, but they also have so much stuff going on in their own lives that I think that people think that, oh my gosh, everybody's going to be 
thinking about me, 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 and, and they're really not. They're just excited and they hope you don't get hurt. So that's the other thing to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. I've said before to some of my students, you know, because they'll know that like I won worlds and pans at Purple Belt. And it's like, yeah, I also lost like 15 matches that year. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. It just it's part of it. It's fine. <laughs> How did you try to manage and integrate all of that? So like going to school and training and and all of that. It kind of helped. I knew that I like our practices when I was at school were at 8 p.m. So I knew that no matter what I was doing, I had to be done by 8 p.m. So if that meant I needed to get up earlier in the day, that's what I needed to do because I didn't. I was going to be done by 8 p.m. no matter what, because I was going to train. So it like kind of helped like force time management. It also really helped to like, that was sort of my me time. That was my time. That was my stress release. That was my, so not only was it like, did it force me to kind of time manage, but it also, I think kept me sort of sane, um, with that stuff too. So it, I probably wouldn't have done as well at either thing. If I just had done pharmacy or just had done jujitsu because it would have like consumed me. So I really like having the yin and the yang of, of both things to balance each other out. Yeah, that makes sense. Risser. That's intense. Pharmacy is very difficult. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I don't know how you did that. Um, but what's your position on competitions for your students? So do you require it? Do you just recommend it? Competing is a lot of different things. I think that it's really, really good for certain people. I think that there is like competing in and of itself is a skill. So like in the same way that you learn a guard, you learn closed guard, and you can learn the entire system. And that is like a skill in and of itself, your ability to your cardio, your, you know, ability to manage the distance. You're, there's so many different skills, but competition itself is a skill that I don't necessarily know that everyone needs when they compete or excuse me, when they train. I think that a lot of people, it, it's the number one tool if you want to get good quickly. It's going to be the quickest way that you can test what you learned in the room and see that if you were fighting you, would you win, right? That's like what competition is kind of trying to simulate. I think that it's really, really good for anybody that wants to get good quickly. And I think it's really good for anybody that needs to scratch a competitive itch. But I think for a lot of people, weight is a really big thing for a lot of people. A lot of people come into the sport with, with weight issues that they maybe haven't fully you know, addressed or, or, or kind of recovering from. And so I think that that is a component that I would never want to push on somebody. I think that the other thing too, is that some people, a lot of people have a lot of other things going on in their life, you know, deadlines on their own or different kinds of things like that. So I think that competition is something, it's an amazing tool. It's super effective. I need it for myself, but I don't think it should be required for my students. I think that's a really great mindset to have as a coach, because I think a lot of people come in and they absolutely never want to compete ever. And we do have a lot of people that really struggle with weight issues and weight class issues, and some of them don't even want to see themselves weighed. So I think that's really great. Mm -hmm. How was it like the first time you taught a seminar? Like, was that trippy to you? Was it weird to like teach outside of your school and do something like that? Oh, yeah, it was I'm a, I'm an over-preparer. I like, I always say make the homework hard. So the test is easy, right? I am very much like prepare, 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 prepare. And I, before I did it, I 
am okay in front of people, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I, I am much more comfortable now than I was the first time I did it. I, the first seminar I did, if I could redo, that would be awesome. I, oh, <laughs> oh man, they have only gone up from there. I mean, that's a good point though. You know, like people are always afraid to get started because they expect to be perfect right away in anything in a lot of things of life. Um, but you always get better. You always improve. I'm sure if you went back and listened to our first podcast, they're not near as good as they are now. Like, oh no, they're awesome. They are awesome. Oh, they were, they're flawless. Never mind that one. That's not true. <laughs> we're the exception. Absolutely. <laughs> but I know, you know, like I'm so much better as an instructor than I was before. I'm better as a competitor, like all of it. But that's the thing. You can't be afraid to get started. You have to be willing to suck at it. Yeah, I mean, first, <laughs> to start. I always told my girls that the first, the, the, the path towards being good at something is sucking at it. That's always the first step. You have to do the, you have to go through the not as good to get to the great, you know? Like, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I think the other thing I remembered too is like, sometimes I think there's like the things that you, it, the other part is that when I look back on it, I'm like, okay, even though it probably wasn't the greatest, like the majority of people that go to your seminars are like white belts, right? So they probably did get a lot more out of it than even if I didn't say it as perfectly as I wanted, you know, could have. Yeah. Like they're still getting, you know, a lot out of that type of stuff too. So I think just energy level and interest can make up for a lot of lack of ability at first, you know? Definitely. And just being able to like go around and not be afraid to go, okay, come back. Let me, I need to show you this mm-hmm. part. Like, let me fix something. Um, like maybe I forgot to say these words or anything like that. But yeah, I think that, like you said, just being interested in them and being enthusiastic about it really helps a lot. So you already said that you have a women's team. So I assume that you think women's only training is important, but why do you think it's important? So John asked me to do, John is my husband and he, he um, you know, runs tipping point. I mean, you know, we, like he's at pans right now. Um, and I'm teaching all the classes when he's gone. So we like, we both do it, but he, you know, he, he, it's his gym kind of, he was a bigger proponent originally than me because one, I think that a lot of the times, like when I had gone to other training places and there was women's only training, it sort of, it seemed like it almost created a bigger barrier to going to on all levels, like there was like the girls that went to the mixed classes and then there were the girls that went to just the women's classes, you know, which is fine. But I think that that sometimes that barrier gets a little bit, um, I don't know, insurmountable. And I even see my girls right now. Sometimes I'll be like, you, there's only so much we can do in an eight person, you know, some of our classes are smaller and like some of those body sizes, we just, there's, I have better bodies. If you go to like the all level or, you know, the mixed classes, like just try it, you know, and, and, and I, I know they're worried about that. So sometimes that does give me pause, but I do think, um, like we have mentioned at the very beginning, it's a very, um, slow retention rate. Right. And I think the number one thing for me is that you have to hit a critical mass of girls. And then all of a sudden you have, you go from like, like for my gym, it was once we had about five girls, not all at the same class, just five consistent girls at sprinkled classes. Then all of a sudden we got to 15, you know, it was like one of the, like, but before we got, when we were just around five, you know, four, we would net, we were at four girls for like 
five years, you know? And so like, once we kind of hit that, like, okay, we hit this critical mass, which I think that a women's program can really help with, then it just has been taking off. We've had a ton of new girls start. And I think that's really good because I think it helps the guys learn how to train with girls. And I think it, it lets the girls who are more comfortable going to the, you know, everyone class. So I, I think it's good as far as like hitting that critical mass, but I don't, if you had that critical mass already, I don't know if you need that, but I would be interested to hear you guys' perspective on that too. Yeah. So from my perspective, the reason, like one of the reasons we have the women's only classes is because some women due to religion mm-hmm. won't train with guys. Some due to past mm-hmm. don't want to train with the guys. And so a lot of times it's just a lower barrier of entry. Yeah. So it helps them get started. And we do have some that I struggle getting into the co-ed classes, but a lot of times, like in order to kind of bridge that gap, we just like promise them, well, hey, just come in to begin with and you can work with a female partner. Like there are always plenty of women in that class. You can roll with all the ladies like and just getting them started that way. And then they start feeling more comfortable like, oh, this guy's really cool. This dude's cool, like whatever. And maybe I could drill with him or maybe like, you know, I'd be able to roll with him. And it just kind of eases through that. But I think having the the women's only has really helped us bring in a lot of people that would have never come Same. if it was only co-ed classes. Yeah. That's me. When I started jujitsu, I was way too dainty. I never would have made it in co-ed class. <laughs> that is shocking to me. I did not want to do it and I am dainty. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was I was just thinking that like most people who know you now would be so shocked to hear that like you wouldn't have done co- co-ed classes and that you consider yourself dainty. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely I definitely agree, and I I think that there is a barrier for entry that I just I just wish there was more of a like I don't know because I would I really really like having the girls I love our women's program I love the girls that go to the co-ed classes and I. There's sometimes even a, just a, I don't know if we could make that transition more seamless. Cause I can, you know, I'll, I'll message them. Oh, I'll be your partner. Like, but I'm only one person. So how do I get all of you to go at the same time? You know, <laughs> but no, it's good. Yeah. So there's kind of a divide there. And I, I think the, the one struggle too, is I feel like we have a struggle with the women that only do the mixed classes, um, integrating in our female mm-hmm. group. Yeah. So the women that go to women's classes tend to be closer right. knit um, but the ones that only do the mixed classes have have just trouble making friends with the other females there sometimes. Yeah. And a lot of times that's just scheduling issues. Like they don't come because it doesn't work into their schedule. And so then it kind of stinks that like they struggle a little bit to like integrate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it goes both ways, kind of. I was going to say, I think that I appreciate our women's class, too, because it gives the younger teenagers a place to go. Yeah. Because at our gym personally, like the kids class just isn't enough for them. You know, like the kids are just a little too young, but adult classes may be a little intimidating. So we have some sort of preteen, early teenagers that do really well in women's class. That's true. And the end, I mean, like from the age when you're 13 to 15 as a 13 to 16 as a female, like you're physically so, you can be any different possible combination of body habits, right? Like it's just so broad. But I, but the same thing about all of them is that all of them want to be treated like a young woman instead of, you know, so they want to be in the like women's class. They don't want to, so I, that, that is something that I have seen 
like we have um, a, a gym that's kind of close by and they have a primarily a kids program and a lot of them do drop off as soon as they hit 13. And we've gotten a bunch of 13 to 14 year olds in our program lately, like that didn't even train before. But I think it's because, you know, then they get to, if we let out a swear word, they're like, oh, I feel so cool. Like I'm being treated <laughs> like the adult, you know, like, so that is a good point too. That is a really good point. We've covered a lot of the stuff that was kind of asked on Instagram, but one thing was, have you ever felt like quitting? And if so, like what kept you going? I don't really know that I ever felt like quitting. I mean, I, so my, like, so when I started like my motivating factor, and I think this is kind of probably similar for a lot of girls is that I wanted to be able to, I, I wanted to, if, a, if somebody ever came up and like grabbed me or something and you have that initial freeze response, I didn't want to have that freeze response. That was my, like my goal with training was like you, once you've been in a position a million times, you are just not going to freeze. Like you did the, all of the previous times. Right. So like my goal was, even though it was like really scary and horrible for the first six months, cause it is for every single person that trains, it's horrible, such a steep learning curve, you know, as far as just like, until you get more comfortable. I think that was probably the time I was like most likely to have thought about quitting, but I knew that it's, I, I knew it would get better. And I knew that my goal was that it's terrible now so that it would get better, you know? especially like in the long run. And I've definitely accomplished that goal for the record. Definitely accomplished that goal. I, there's no one that can come <laughs> up behind me and I wouldn't immediately know what to do now. But I think the other time probably was when I was a blue belt. Um, I just got my blue belt and I tore my ACL. And so that was heartbreaking, utterly heartbreaking. Uh. Um, but I don't know. I, I just, I, it sort of was like also motivating because I was like, well, I'm not going to like, I don't know. I'm still going to learn as much as I can. I'm still going to go to classes and all my friends are still here. So I'm still going to like try to do everything I possibly can to like, just make this like as minimal as possible of an impact and then keep going. So, and everybody was really nice and rolled with me well. And so luckily, thank God my team was there, you know? Yeah. So it kind of sounds like one of the things that really kept you going was the community of jujitsu. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you do it enough, it becomes... Your whole friends and family and everyone's there. It's your entire social life. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, if you want to be friends with me, you have to come do jujitsu, right? <laughs> Seriously. That's how you tricked me into it. <laughs> Mr. said that's how you yeah. tricked me into it. That's true. <laughs> Very good. What's your advice for dealing with plateaus and training? I think it depends on like specifically. So being busy, right? So having working at if you work a job or if you're a mom or if you're doing anything else, right? I think that it's really, really, really important to be very intentional with your time. So go into every class with a goal and that goal does not have to be anything crazy, but like, if you feel like you're plateauing, what is identify an area in your game that you need to work on. And if you can't come up with one, ask your coach, I guarantee you they have one for you. <laughs> so work, work with them and ask them and then, and then come up with an answer. So for instance, say, you know, for me right now, my knees hurt. So I am going to get better at, I want to get better at subs off my back. So every t- person that I'm rolling with, I am putting them in my, like, I'm, I'm coming up with creative ways to not hurt my knee and get them to close guard and then subbing them off my back every single, every single roll, at least like once a roll. Right. So that's like my goal right now. So 
if you can have a goal during training, that's going to make, and, and it can even be like, maybe I had to sit two rolls last time and I'm only going to try to sit one roll this time. You know, just, it can be little, little goals and they can change depending on the day, but having those goals for every single class is really, really, really helpful and important. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like that's something that even before, well, I mean, it, it is even before class, I'll be like, what's your goal for this round? <laughs> like, or, you know, like even before a round, I'm like, okay, do you have a goal? And then sometimes I ask the students, like, did you reach your goal that round? Mm -hmm. And like, some will say yes. And then the next time, like more will say yes, because now they're yeah. concentrating on it more. Because a lot of times they're just going in blindly and like letting their mind go blank and just rolling. Yeah. Who would do that? I'm guilty of it as well. Let's be honest. <laughs> I think the other thing too, that was really helpful for like, one thing I had to realize, like as I was doing the women's program and as I was teaching a lot more of the classes was like my upper belts would like realizing that the, I needed to have them. Sometimes your goal for the round is to make your, the lower belt feel like a rock star. Like, how do you make it feel like magic to them? How do you give them the opening to hit the move of the day? How do you facilitate, like, how do you mentor? Because if you're always just like beating, 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 like you already know that you can win, right? You already know. So then yeah, make it more of a chess. Like you let them sweep you and then you have to escape. And then you, you know, like kind of make it a, that was one thing that I found helpful for my instructing my upper belts to be nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a tough thing too, is like learning how to, to be a leader. That's a, that's a big thing. You do a lot. It seems like you have a full-time job, you teach, you lift, you have two really cute dogs. <laughs> yeah. You should definitely look at them on Instagram if you have not seen them. Um, so how do you balance all of that, especially when you're preparing for a competition? So it's very, I don't do a lot else. You pretty much named my entire life, like all of it, right? So I'm not like, I don't, I don't have a lot of other, you know, that's primarily my, my life right there. Kind of like I was saying before, I definitely need a counterbalance because if I was just going to do jujitsu full time, I think that, that, I don't know, for one, I think it's hard on your body. Like you just see all these people doing two days ad nauseum and they, they just get hurt so often, you know, she says as she's hurt, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it like, I think that that, that's one thing that I'm, I think I'm almost like, I have to be very intentional with my training. I try to train once a day, at least five, at least five days a week, if not seven, but I want to like be very intentional and very focused with that. Um, and I just make sure that everything else is like, it, everything else kind of takes second priority. You know, if like, if it's a, I don't know. If I need to put off a dentist appointment, I'm going to put off a dentist appointment. If I need to do, you know, if I, if we need to reschedule certain things, like that's kind of what we have to do because I have a limited time that I'm able to be competitive at a high level. And so I kind of want to capitalize on that. We were very thankful that camp worked into your schedule because I know your schedules, it's very hard for you to get off work. So I know that we're really thankful that that was able to work out. Oh, I'm so excited to do that. I, I think it's a really awesome, awesome thing. And I'm, I'm just excited to meet everyone too. I think it's a really unique opportunity too to like, like I said before, if you have the opportunity to get a bunch of girls together and have them see like what they can do. Cause I think that's the hardest part is that women they're intimidated to get in because they've never, they don't have anybody that they've ever seen do it. So if you have like this huge, massive group of people that have all, that all get to like see and like, Whoa, the level's there. Like I don't know. That's really cool. It's always like really cool to me when 
when girls come up to me and are like, I've never seen a black belt before. I've never seen a black belt female before, you know? And I'm right? like, that's cool. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like a superstar. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you know, just don't quit. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to like representation matters, you know, like it really does. Who would you say, like, aside from your coach or whatever, who would you say is your favorite person you've ever learned from? So I loved my, I, my coach is awesome. I think, and I'm not just saying that he's awesome. He does a really, really great job at like how his brain just works like a filing cabinet. And I really like when you can like ask a question and then you get like, you know, eight answers off of it. I love that. Probably the other person that was my mentor when I started was um, a woman named Taylor Biaggi and she has her own gym now in Chicago and she's just a really, really sweetheart. Um, But she always, she like made sure when I started that she would like do the move and then would always make sure that the role was focused on us getting back there and then troubleshooting, 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 troubleshooting. So it was always a very, like, I'm a very kinesthetic learner. I'm very, I learn, my body learns and then it'll stick in my brain. So anybody that can um, do movements like that. So she was really good at that. And the other one was our very first head coach was forever ago was this guy named Pedro. And he was the most charismatic Brazilian you've ever met in your entire life but also a very kinesthetic learner. So he had us doing a lot of those like warm up drills and a lot of like, you know, how do you, how do you feel? This is like a very um, structured way to start to feel comfortable with putting your weight on somebody to, um, you know, being mobile in uncomfortable positions. And so any, but any kind of kinesthetic learners like that, I tend to really gravitate towards. My next question is, what do you feel like is the best piece of advice you've gotten from someone else in jujitsu or coach, anything like that? The best thing that I've heard is um, make excuses to train, not making, don't make excuses, like not to train, right? So like you can, it's always easy that there's always going to be something that comes up. You know, you're, you're, you don't, you're never going to feel a hundred percent. You're always going to be a little tired. You're always going to be, but don't like, uh, I'll get it tomorrow. I'll get it tomorrow. No, 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 no. Be there. You know, make, say, nope, that's, that's the thing that's going to, that's the thing I'm going to say. Mm, I'll get to the dishes later. They will still be there. Yeah. I will get it after training, you know, make excuses to be at training. And then once that becomes a part of your daily routine and then all of your friends are there and then your body feels better, you're sleeping better. Everything is just improved. You know, if you make excuses to be there, you, you will not regret it. I love that. I think this was great. It was so fun talking to you. Um, like I said, I've always just kind of admired you from far, <laughs> just watching you compete and stuff like that. No, yeah, I love running into you at competitions and at seminars and things. It's so awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to get to learn from you again at camp this year. Selfishly, that's really how we book all of our instructors is people we want to learn from. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Thank you for your time today. A lot of times we ask for an on and off the mat tip, but I feel like she's given so many already. Mm-hmm. The whole podcast, go back and listen to it. You need on and off the mat tips. She's got them. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? Claire North JJ and um, Facebook, Claire North. And yeah. Great. Great. So go ahead and give her a follow and follow her dogs. I can't believe it took Risser yes. 30 minutes to mention your dogs. <laughs> That's what she was most excited yes. about. She really wants you to bring my babies. No, so Theo. what's Theo? Theo. She really wants you. She wants you to bring Theo to. <laughs> With this little scarf. 
Theo, yes, Mr. Man. <laughs> He's so handsome. <laughs> I know. Wasn't that so cute? We had our own Oscars party here. I know. It's ridiculous. I'm in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a king. I love him. Yes. He's so handsome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, great. And you can find me at AJ Klingerman everywhere you go or role model everywhere else you go. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Brassy Broad Jen. You can find us hanging out together on the podcast at Beauty and the Gee podcast and sometimes we even post pictures and stuff there on that instagram i mean we got one up this week so feeling feeling really good about that so yeah you can hang out with us there and risser you guys are professionals yeah we are (laughs) you can find me on instagram at jriz and the his all right thanks for tuning in and we will see you on the the mat Beauty and the Ghee is a production of the Brassy Broadcasting Company. And brought to you by Role Model Grappling.